Welcome to our show, Dreams, Passion and Your Hong Kong Story. Every time on this show, we bring before you people from different walks of life who have pursued their passion and found great success in Hong Kong. Today, we have with us someone who is regarded as an expert in the global art and luxury goods industry. Someone who has worked for several notable brands in this industry. Let's meet Francis Boleyn, President, Christie's Asia Pacific. Hello, Francis, and welcome to our show. Hello. So Francis is currently the president of Asia Pacific at Christie's. Christie's is a world famous auction house for exclusive art, jewelry, luxury goods, and even furniture and real estate. Before working for Christie's, Francis has held several leading positions in companies like Swarovski and even Richemont and worked in Japan, Hong Kong, and even Shanghai. Francis, Francis is from France and he has been working in Asia for over 15 years. Let's talk to Francis and find out about his journey in Hong Kong. You know, you started your career as a management consultant with McKinsey and thereafter you chose the luxury industry. What made you choose that? Were you always interested in art and fashion as a kid or did this change of interest come later? Yeah. I think I started in management consulting as a way not to choose to start anywhere because okay. management consultant is both a very wide range of uh, industries, but it's also a wide range of functions where okay. you explore uh, as a consultant and you, you help your clients. Uh -huh. uh, and then maturing after a few years in, uh, at McKinsey, uh, where I worked uh, primarily in, in Europe and in Asia. Mm -hmm. I, was, uh, I was posted in Indonesia for about a year in 2000. Then I started to realize two things. One is I do love, uh, as you mentioned, I do love beautiful objects, okay. uh, whatever they are, whether they are from uh, you know, fashion, which is just the taste of today or much more timeless, uh -huh. like, like art would be. And I also love to lead business and help uh, teams be successful. How do you advise the buyers and the sellers make the choice? Can you uh, explain the whole thing to the audience? So there, there's different things that we, we here to, so we here to serve uh -huh. uh, collectors. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, we serve collectors of every generation, collectors who collect uh, across a very wide spectrum of objects. Mm -hmm. At Christie's, which, which is the, uh, the leading auction house yeah. globally, because so Christie's is the largest transactor in the art space okay. uh, in, uh, in this industry. Uh, we advise uh, around 80 categories, mm -hmm. which reflect, you know, from east to west, north and south, and uh, maybe four or five uh, thousand years of art history reflect everything that mankind basically has come up with uh, mm -hmm. and the best uh, and, and naturally the most expensive these days. Um, so we, we, we help collectors along their collecting journey. Uh, we have very long-standing relationship with these collectors. We mm -hmm. start, um, you know, working with them and advising them very early on their journey. So mm -hmm. it might be the first object that they will uh, start to collect. They bought it at Christie's. Every sometime that relationship lasts, uh, you know, very long and through generations of these families. So throughout the 250 years of history of Christie's, we have advised families okay. and not just individuals. So do you have any memorable experience from uh, you know, any of these auctions that you have been participating in at Christie's? There are, there are many. There are many because we sell about uh, 50,000, 60,000 objects uh, per year. Uh -huh. uh, and we've had two really outstanding moments uh, in uh, my three and a half year career at Christie's. Uh, the first one was a, we sold an extremely uh, rare 
uh, and it's it's a national. I mean, it's, it's an international treasure, I must say. Okay. Um, a painting which is called uh, Wooden Rock uh -huh. from a Song Dynasty artist, actually literally called uh, Sushu, was a polymath, uh, so he was not just a painter, he was a poet and mm -hmm. a very versatile man. <clears throat> and he has actually initiated it during the Song Dynasty with that painting a whole range uh, of uh, aesthetics that has inspired the literati up to today. Uh, so we saw that painting, but we curated a sale around that painting with, with a selection of about 30 objects that okay. have been inspired by uh, that aesthetics of literati through the centuries up to uh, today. So that was really, that was really a, a defining moment, uh, not only because we saw that painting, but also yeah. because we put it back into, we put back the literary aesthetic into the context of what that painting has inspired. I see, okay. And there's a second one, which uh -huh. is, uh, was last November <clears throat> in, uh, in Hong Kong, where we saw a painting called The Five Nudes, which mm -hmm. is the largest uh, painting from uh, one of the largest paintings from an artist uh, called Sanyu. An artist who uh, is a Chinese artist who immigrated to uh, France uh, mm -hmm. and has spent most of his life actually painting in France. And he actually went to, uh, he went to Paris because he wanted to paint nudes. So okay. at the core of his uh, painting are uh, all the nudes and because he wanted to make a living, uh, he started to paint st still life, flowers, animals. But fundamentally, his passion was in painting nude, which he could do freely in France, but right. not in China. So can you share with our audience some tips for buying exclusive paintings or luxury goods, you know, when they go to these auctions? What should they keep in mind? I think the first thing before going into an auction is to, of course, we can all be impulsive. There is a need for each and every one collector to put a lot of homework into buying. Yeah. And my advice to any collector is do your homework right. uh, and you will be a very fulfilled collector because your collection will reflect fundamentally what you want it to be and that's mm -hmm. your personal choice. Mm -hmm. So Francis, you have worked in, you know, the brand side of the industry before, like you worked with Swarovski and Richemont, and then now you're working for an intermediary company like Christie's, both in luxury industry. Tell us the difference that you have noticed, difference in experience that you have noticed while working in both these industries, and tell us about the different roles that you have played both the ways. Right, so I think the, the biggest difference that we have uh, between the traditional luxury industry and what we do in an auction house, so mm -hmm. In an auction house, every object we transact is unique. Okay. You know, if there is two of the same objects, either it's a print okay. or a reproduction, but there's a problem somewhere. Don't produce what okay. we sell. Nobody produced but the artists. Right. Uh, right. We are primarily in the secondary market and yeah. mostly selling objects of artists or craftsmen mm -hmm. and have passed away. Uh, and it is what you have in the market is what it is. There mm -hmm. won't be more than this. So that creates, uh, of course, a lot of limitation on the supply. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, I think, the biggest uh, challenge that we face in our industry uh, is actually to source objects. Right. We might okay. think it's on selling them, it's actually on sourcing them. Okay. Um, the luxury industry is, uh, is a different uh, business model. You have a creative designer, you have different established categories, whether it's jewelry, watches. I argue that some of them are very rare, like diamonds or certain handbags from certain brands. But at the end of the day, you can yeah. always train more craftsmen to do more of these handbags. And mm -hmm. it's more about managing the rarity and the supply than it is uh, of you know, intrinsically having a limited supply. So how has your role changed? I mean, do you think your role has differed from the last, in, you know, the last uh, segment of the luxury 
industry that you work so in? So my, my leadership role has changed uh, quite substantially between my previous roles when I was uh, managing primarily retail networks, mm -hmm. uh, whether it was with Richemont or with Roski, yeah. no matter how big or small they were, right. uh, all these roles are very similar. Mm -hmm. uh, they were similar whether I was looking at retailing in South Korea or in Taiwan yeah. or in Japan. It was always pretty much the same equation. Um, my role today is to serve to make sure that we have the teams to serve our clients, right. uh, so these collectors, yeah. uh, to cover specialists uh -huh. who are experts in okay. the individual field. And my job is all about managing knowledge. Right. So did you have to kind of s go deeper into the art side or study? So I have art? to. I have to at least make sure I have a conversation which is informed. Uh, <laughs> yes. I'm not an art specialist. I am interested in art, I've yes. always been. I'm not an art historian, uh, but I'm basically here to help the, the business uh, grow and develop and make sure we serve our clients uh, the best we can. Right. And part of serving these clients means that we need to have the best teams on the ground right. with the best expertise uh, and the best client service. You know, with internet and the virtual medium coming in has changing the, you know, the way the entire business is being transacted in the economy. How do you think is Christie's role going to evolve? So we, so we have, I, I, wouldn't say, I wouldn't say we are the industry which is the most at the forefront of the digital transformation. Uh, okay. I think we are, we are fundamentally anchored in the past with the objects that we sell. Uh -huh. But within that space, uh, Christie's is today uh, one of, if not the most advanced uh, player in that world. One, because of our size. Mm -hmm. So we are, we are market leader in as in the art, uh, we are the largest transactor in the world, uh, so we have a duty to be part and to initiate that change in the digital space, but the numbers also show it. So not only the functionalities that we've developed and what we've put in place, but also the numbers, uh, we are the largest transactor in the digital space. So now what we do, at the end of the day, there's a balance which is always uh, interesting for us to maintain because mm -hmm. art is about sensations, right. it's about these emotions that you have when you encounter the object. Yes. So there's a certain part of our business model that we can digitalize and where we can uh, leverage um, you know, all the opportunities that digital tools offer. Mm -hmm. it be on the transaction side where you can actually bid into our uh, auctions uh, through the internet, right. maybe through uh, informing our clients uh, with our electronic catalogs or the essays and the videos. So all these are new tools, of course, that in the past 20 years have surfaced mm -hmm. to help us in different stage of that relationship with our uh, collectors. But at the end of the day, the emotion that you have when you are together with the object right. is very hard to replace. So the physical we, auction is there to stay? The physical auction is here to stay. From Christie's point of view, how has Hong Kong been as a base for them, um, you know, for carrying out the business in Asia? Now that you have been in art and luxury industry in Asia for so long, do you see Hong Kong having a potential to be the leader in the space of Asian art? So Hong Kong has been for 15 years, 20 years, an mm -hmm. extremely important, Asia has been an extremely important uh, pillar of uh, our growth, mm -hmm. not only for Asian art, uh, so Chinese paintings, Chinese works of art, ceramics, lacquer, uh, but also for Western art, uh, so Western impressionist and modern, Western post-war and contemporary uh, categories where Asian buyers are very established collectors. 
So Asian buyers and Asia have been uh, completely centered to uh, Christie's strategy. Mm -hmm. uh, we've been investing in the region for, for many years. Uh, and it is already out of Hong Kong, okay. uh, you know, a, a, a real pillar okay. uh, in addition to uh, London and New York. It is mm -hmm. a real pillar for our company. I see. So uh, how would you advise a young person looking to build a career in luxury and art industry? So I would advise them to do exactly what I've never been able to do, which, which is, is be, be frontline. Okay. Be as frontline as you can in your beginning, uh, be down to earth. Mm -hmm. But I, I think it's really important to understand who buys, what they buy, why they buy, how they buy. And you cannot learn this out of an office, okay. go into a store, work in the shop, become a store manager, even if it's just for a year or two or three in your professional career, you will mm -hmm. get uh, fantastic insights into uh, who the clients are, because at the end of the day, uh, it's the clients that we're serving. Be truly well-serving clients and, and be a striving business person. You need to understand who, who, why people are looking for these objects, okay. why the people are That's and how they're buying insight. them. And I've never been, I, I started working in retail, I was already a general manager of a small team when I was in Japan. And I've always tried to actually work in stores. And I remember one day when I was at Zorowski where I went to be posted in our Singapore store uh, for two days. And of course I needed to have like three people around me because I could not operate the cash register, I could not pack a gift, and I didn't know <laughs> where to find stuff in the, in the stockroom. And then I realized that working in a store and serving clients and answering the questions that they have on, uh, you know, how to uh, to keep uh, how to to take care of of, of uh, the jewelry and so on are actually not easy ones. Yeah, they're always, intrinsic part and, of the business. And clients can be can, are demanding. You no, know, they want to be served well. And and yes. I think any experience that you have directly with the clients, I think, is a lifelong uh, reflection and and uh, I think insights uh, for any career. That's a very valuable advice for the young people. So Francis, what's next for you? Where do you see yourself in the next five years? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we're very happy in Hong Kong, very happy in Asia. Uh, my wife is an entrepreneur. She might even have been on your show. Yes. If not yet soon. Yes, of course. You're a power couple. <laughs> I'm a power couple. But she's, she's, the, she's the most powerful half of the power couple. Uh, and, uh, and we're very happy here. Uh, okay. We are. We. It's. It's our life. We. The only thing is, our parents are in Europe. Uh, so my wife is German. Uh, my parents are in France. Uh, so we need to be able to keep that, uh, you know, close relationship with our respective families. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's the only thing that actually reconnects us. Uh, I mean, pulls us back into Europe. Right. But there's no plan whatsoever uh, to go anywhere else. Uh, kids are happy. We're all very happy to be here. So are you ready for a rapid-fire question now? Yes, I am. That's getting to know Francis' Hong Kong story in a bit more fun way. So Francis, I know that yeah. you are, you have a great wine cellar at your place. Tell me a little bit about that hobby of yours and also which is your most favorite wine? I love wine. Okay. I just, I love food, but I specifically love wine okay. and I'm, uh, I'm very picky on, uh, you know, healthy, eating healthy and, and, and fitness and so on. But there's mm -hmm. one thing I can really not let go is, is I enjoy a glass of wine uh, almost every day. Uh, my favorite wines are uh, increasingly the hidden ones. Okay. Uh, and I have a very simple advice to give to your audience is go to expensive restaurants 
look at the wine list. The sommelier has done his homework. There's a reason why 80-90% are very well-known names. Mm -hmm. And of course they are expensive. But you will find always 10-15% of that wine list which is expensive and that you've never heard about. Okay. These are the ones you should explore. Okay. So I always go to a restaurant and I pick the most expensive wine I've never heard about. I see. Okay. And I'm never disappointed. And it's never really expensive. Okay. The other trick that I have is I tell, I tell the sommelier, pick something that will really uh, surprise me. If it's too expensive, I won't pay. If it's not good, I won't drink. Whoa! <laughs> You're a tough client. <laughs> okay, amongst all the artwork that you must have bought, which one of it has been your favorite? So I bought uh, some sketches of Sanyu, mm -hmm. uh, a Chinese artist that lived in Paris. Uh, mm -hmm. And I have them in my home and I enjoy looking at them multiple times in the day. And they always catch my sight when I just go through my, my place. They are just, it's, that's what defines living with art. Mm -hmm. It's not just having random objects in your home. It's mm -hmm. having objects that actually are just, not just part of yourself, but they catch your eye when you browse randomly through your place. And, and these uh, Sanyu sketches, are some of these objects actually catch my sight. Okay. Your favorite casual and formal dining place in Hong Kong? So my favorite, uh, that's a tricky one if I answer like this, but my favorite casual would be the, the curry at the, in the lobby of the Mandarin Oriental. Okay. The formal, I'd say Mono. It's a new restaurant that opened. Uh, online streets uh, inspired of a lot of different cuisines and I, I find they, they've done a really good job and they open uh, during the, uh, the challenging time, second mm -hmm. half of 2019 in Hong Kong, uh, 2020, so they opened during the second half of 2020 in Hong Kong, I uh, but I think they've been striving. And your favorite solitary activity in Hong Kong? Um, Drinking wine, but that's, I'm not supposed to say that. <laughs> uh, solitary activity, I would say probably go running and hiking. Uh, solitaire, uh, when I exercise. Okay. Uh, it's a time for me not just to exercise, but also to reflect. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely love going for my run in the Titan Park, which is close to my home. Okay. And three words that describes your Hong Kong life? I would say uh, exciting, mm -hmm. uh, fulfilling, mm -hmm. and happy. As a Hong Konger, what are you most proud about Hong Kong? I think the city, the city has, you know, for so many decades has been absolutely incredible in um, reinventing itself. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's a city that is resilient. Mm -hmm. It's a city that had nothing to succeed. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a big rock. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet it's, you know, it's the, one of the most successful cities in Asia. There's nothing, no raw material. There's not even real, there's not even landmass we can easily build on, yet it's look at what has uh, this city become. So I think it really speaks for uh, how uh, fantastic Hong Kong people have been mm -hmm. and the different expats that live here mm -hmm. uh, to transform Hong Kong into being such a successful hub. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, there's so many things that uh, make, make Hong Kong uh, an attractive place for investors, for professionals, for families, mm -hmm. uh, the rule of law, you know, the convertibility of the Hong Kong dollar, the stability that you have in general, whatever we think, whatever the the last uh, few months of headlines might have suggested. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think fundamentally, the level of resilience and hard work uh, that as a professional I have seen in Hong Kong, for me, is really what makes Hong Kong stand out. 
What would you advise the global business leaders around the world? Why should they engage with Hong Kong? For all these good reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to find uh, uh, talented, hardworking individuals, you can come here. Uh, if you want to find an environment where business is welcome and you know, it's a very business savvy mm -hmm. place for multiple reasons, whether it's uh, you know, regulations, tax, the financial system, it's a place where, where, where companies should definitely come. And how would you pitch Hong Kong to your friends and family in Europe or elsewhere to come and visit you? So you have more green in Hong Kong and anyone can look, check on Google map. Uh, you know, with satellite view, you have more green in Hong Kong than anything else. And not so, many people know about that. And not many people know about that. You know, the, the image is all these, you know, uh, skinny high-rise buildings and feels like a very uh, overwhelming, noisy city. It is not. It is not. And 12-minute drive from uh, Central, you can be in the complete nature. You can go on a hike with your kids uh, 20 minutes away from your home and, and see waterfalls and just even forget you're in a city, you're in a natural park. And yes. there's very few cities in the world with that kind of uh, economic development and all of the professional uh, opportunities that Hong Kong offers that can also offer that yes. from a lifestyle point of view. So I think this is absolutely unique. Well, thank you so much, Francis, for being with us thank on the you, show. Thank you, And we wish you all the best in all your future endeavors. Thank you very much. Stay tuned for our next episode on dreams, passion and your Hong Kong story where we bring you yet another fascinating story from this wonderful land, Hong Kong. If you have any comments, feedback or if you want to share your Hong Kong story with us, feel free to write to us at www.jskmediaglobal.com.